five-year plan, a 10-year plan. It could be a New Year's resolution of something that you wanted to do for that next year. So by show of hands, who's ever made a plan for your life? Yeah, so a good majority of us, right? Okay, hands still raised if you made a plan. Now, keep your hands up if you've ever had one of those plans go exactly as you expected it to go. So, nobody? You've had one go exactly as you expected it to go? We need to talk. Because <laughs> I need to know whatever secret that is. The thing is, most of the time when we make plans for our life, you know, we plan out, this is what it's going to look like. This is how it's going to play out. These are the outcomes we're going to get from it. And, you know, most of the time it doesn't play out like we thought it was going to go. Something comes up, some event happens, uh, we lose focus, whatever it may be, it doesn't work out for us. We have these unmet expectations, right? Well, today we're going to be talking about a guy who knows all too well about unmet expectations and uncertainty, um, even whenever God has promised him something in his life. We're going to be talking about one of my favorite characters, David. Um, David, he's one of my favorites because, I mean, the dude is simultaneously a royal screw-up. I mean, like, truly royal. You know, he messes up all the time. But he's at the same time a man after God's own heart. Gives me hope that, you know, if this guy can be messed up and still be a guy after God's own heart, so can I. But even more so than that is the Psalms that he writes. The, The guy, if you read his Psalms, he goes like through the full spectrum of human emotions, right? You know, from, it's almost like he's bipolar in a way because he goes from one psalm where he's ecstatic, jumping with joy, dancing in the streets in his underwear, and then the next psalm he's lamenting and, you know, just wanting his life to end and praying that God, you know, destroys all of his enemies because his life's so bad and, you know, he's been mistreated and he's living in the back of a cave and hiding. Um, it is, it's like, holy cow, guy. I mean, where does all this come from? What do we do with all this? And today in Psalm 131, it's one of his psalms that we're going to be talking about. In this psalm, he's in one of those tough situations. It's not one of those jumping for joy psalms necessarily, but I think there's a lot there for us to learn. Um, But before we get into that, let's take a moment and let's quiet our hearts. Let's take a moment just to be still before him and to pray. Take a moment just to breathe release your fears, your anxieties to God. God, we need you to still our hearts, to quiet them. We all bring baggage into this room with us today. Some of us are going through really hard times. Some of us are going through good times, but regardless, we all bring stuff with us, and we just, we release those things to you, God. We want to hear what you have to say to us today. We want to encounter you here. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just fall on each and every one of our um, hearts today. Speak to us, God. We need you. We can't do this without you. In Jesus' name we pray. All right, so Psalm 131 reading it from the message. It says, God, I'm not trying to rule the roost. I don't want to be king of the mountain. I haven't meddled where I have no business or fantasized grandiose plans. 
I've kept my feet on the ground, and I've cultivated a quiet heart, like a baby content in its mother's arms. My soul is a baby content. Wait, Israel, for God. Wait with hope. Hope now, hope always. Guys, can you just feel the emotion, the peace that exudes from that? It's not like it's some hollow promise of, oh, life's going to be easy. Your heart's going to be quiet if you just cultivate it. It's coming from, it seems like a place of someone who's been put through the ringer and who's now saying, my heart is content. I found a way to quiet it. I found something, someone who can help me quiet it. Y'all, as I mentioned, this psalm is written or believed to have been written by David. Now, I know we all probably know a lot of David's story, but I'm just going to kind of recap a little bit of it because I think understanding the context in which this was written is going to help us understand this psalm and what it has for us. So David was anointed king when he was roughly 10 to 13 years old. It's believed that's up for debate. Um, I'm no expert on this, but that's what I've read. Um, So 10 to 13 years old, Samuel comes to him and says, all right, God has told me you're going to be king, yet there's already a king in place. Saul was king at the time, and yet David has been anointed as king. So he's got this weight on him, this identity placed on him, this calling placed on him by God, yet there's already a king in place. Now, imagine if I came to you and said, all right, Peter, you're going to be president. You're anointed as president of this country. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd be a little afraid (laughs) of that. Because what happens if the president finds out that you've been anointed as president, as leader of this country, you know, while he's already president? It doesn't matter who the president is. I'd be afraid. (laughs) Now, David, I'm sure, is afraid of this. And as he goes through his life, he's got this vision of uh, this identity of being king on his life. So he goes for probably about two decades or so. A number of things happen during that time. During that time, Saul does take notice of him. But rather than taking immediate action, he kind of pulls him in to his court to keep an eye on him. You know, and in a way, it seems like he almost likes David, but then at the same time, he tries to spear him against the wall every now and again. (laughs) I mean, good grief. Sometimes it's direct attacks like that. Other times he's like, you know what? I'm going to put David in in these battles against these Philistines. I'm going to make him commander of thousands. You know, maybe he'll, you know, somehow be polished off in battle. But the problem is, each time David comes back from battle victorious. (laughs) And not only that, but people start singing songs about him, and they go, you know, Saul's slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. Now, can you imagine being Saul and how ticked off you'd be? You know, you're hoping he gets polished off in battle, and all of a sudden, they come back singing songs about how he's even greater than you are. And this is the roller coaster that David's being put on throughout his life through these decades of I know I'm supposed to be king. God's told me I'm going to be king. But Saul's the king. And Saul keeps trying to kill me, and I've got to keep going on the run. And he keeps putting me into battles that seem unwinnable, yet God keeps winning them. And he goes through this up and down motion of victory, and then on the run, hiding in caves. And then it, it, it's, 
It's crazy. And it, all of a sudden, these psalms he starts writing start to make sense. And you realize that there's times when he is overjoyed at what God's done for him. There's times when he is in despair. He's on the run. He's afraid for his life. Psalm 131 is believed to have been written during one of those times when he's on the run, when he's in exile, hiding in a cave somewhere, you know, trying to not be found by Saul's greatest warriors. So what he's saying here, let's go back to that psalm. He's saying, God, despite my circumstances, I'm not trying to rule this roost. I'm not too proud. I'm not puffing my chest out. I'm not keeping my chin too high. I'm trying to keep my feet on level ground, even though everything seems to be going against me. Even though I know I'm a greater warrior than Saul, I could go take the throne if I wanted to. I could kill him. He had opportunities to take Saul out, and he didn't. And he's saying in the psalm, I'm trying to keep myself humble. Because I'm cultivating a quiet heart. Despite the fact that there's probably chaos going on around him, despite the fact there's probably chaos going on in his heart of fear and anxiety and sadness and anger and the whole spectrum of emotions that you could probably feel, here he is saying, I've kept my feet on the ground. I've cultivated a quiet heart, like a baby content in his mother's arms. My soul is a baby content. I don't know about y'all, but if I'm on the run and there are soldiers coming after me, I don't know that those would be my words. Yet David is able to pin this song despite everything else going on around him. So, why this psalm? Why did why did they adopt this as one of the Psalms of Ascent, and why should we care about it? What does this mean for us? It's great for David, but I don't think many of us have a king coming after us right now. I don't think many of us are in hiding right now. Well, like David, despite the fact we don't have a king chasing us, we do all have hard circumstances in life. Stuff happens the unexpected comes along, whether it's a, an unexpected medical bill. You know, you get put in the hospital and you've got thousands of dollars that you all of a sudden have to pay. Your financial plan is just kind of thrown out the window because of that. We find ourselves in turmoil. Or perhaps it's something at work, a, a career change, maybe an unwanted career change where you lose your job. Or perhaps it's a project that you feel like you can't do or a new coworker or boss that you just can't cope with. Perhaps... It's a challenging family member or friend that's kind of dragging you down with them, bringing you into a messy circumstance, a messy situation. Perhaps it's a child of yours that's in pain, struggling, going astray, and you feel powerless, hopeless to do something about it. Whether we're in those circumstances right now, have been, we will be in some circumstances like that. And this is a psalm, I think, that gives us hope. I know for me, I need this right now. You see, right now, I have two little boys, a five-year-old named Micah and a two-year-old named Noah. I think they're up on the screen. That's us kayaking in Jamaica um, this last January. And my youngest, Noah, has been developing pretty normally. You know, he's almost three years old now. And within the past month or two, especially, 
he's regressed a lot. And all of a sudden, we're beginning to wonder if he's on the autism spectrum. We're having him evaluated, and it's, it's been rough these past couple months. I think we have, my wife and I have spent more time pulling him out of meltdowns than we have enjoying time playing with him. It's been incredibly hard. And uh, we are right now in the middle of uncertainty, in the middle of unmet expectations. Um, we didn't think this is how it was going to play out. We thought, and my brother has autism, and we thought that we were probably in the clear for it. We've been looking for it in both of our boys' lives for pretty much their entire lives. And all of a sudden, it's just like a f- switch flipped, and our circumstances changed. Things don't seem to be playing out like we thought they would. So, what do we do with that? Y'all may not be dealing with this circumstance, but I'm sure you have dealt with hard ones similar to it before. You can understand the fear and the anxiety and the uncertainty. Perhaps, like our family, in the Congo, you've spent the past number of years in a refugee camp and you don't know what's going to happen next. Well, y'all, I think that this psalm offers us a promise and a prayer in the midst of these types of circumstances. It offers us uh, a third option in addition to the two that we normally go to. I mean, in our knee-jerk reactions, I think that when we're faced with these tough circumstances, lots of times we go to the reaction of either despair and just wanting to just give up, apathy, not knowing what to do. So because it's so overwhelming so much, we just say, I can't deal with it enough. I can't do this anymore. And we just want to just go over here into a corner and just try to ignore it and hope that it goes away. And if it doesn't go away, then we just hope that, sometimes we hope that we can just give up and it's it's scary. The other knee-jerk reaction on this side, I think, is that we get into this like frantic manic state of like, okay, I've got a problem, it's big, I'm going to figure it out. So we go start grabbing every half-baked solution we can find, and we start throwing it against the wall and seeing what sticks. And we're just like, if I can just muster enough energy, enough uh, effort, enough solutions, I'll eventually find the right one, and I can power through this problem, and I can fix it. But, and honestly, I know those two all too well. I find myself oscillating between those two sides, I feel like, on like a weekly, maybe even like hourly basis sometimes. It's like, oh, I can't do it. I can't deal with this. And all of a sudden, I find this energy, and I'm like, no, I'm going to figure this thing out, and I'm going to figure out how to make everything better for my kid, for my wife, for everything. But I think this psalm, like I said, offers us a promise and a prayer, a third solution, because we see a man dealing with a crisis, dealing with something beyond his control, beyond his power, and yet he's able to say, I've got a quiet heart. I've been able to cultivate it in the midst of uncertainty and unmet expectations. Because I'm sure this is not how he thought his life was going to pan out. He's able to say these things. The reason I think that the Jews adopted this psalm as one of their psalms of ascent is it's them being able to look back on David's life and say, look at what he was able to say in the midst of uncertainty. 
we want to be able to say that too. So we're going to sing it. It's what I want to be able to say and sing in the midst of uncertainty. How do we do that, though? I mean, it's great that it's, you know, penned by David and he's able to say, I've got a quiet heart, I've been able to cultivate it. But how in the world do we do that? Because I don't know if you've ever tried to, but to just muster up a quiet heart in the midst of turmoil, it's not easy. Pretty much impossible, I would say, to try to do it by your own strength. Well, I think there's three things that we can learn from this that we can do to begin trying to cultivate a quiet heart, to begin trying to seek this this promise and this prayer that David has given us. First of all, I think we need to learn to recognize what's going on in our own hearts. That's a hard thing to do, y'all, to be able to take a step back and to be able to try to understand what's going on in here. It's not easy but to be able to understand what kind of emotions am I feeling? What's going on? Why do I feel this way? Who am I feeling this towards? Sometimes we have thoughts of, God, why me? Why is this happening to me? Why have you done this to me? I mean, I've never said that, never asked that. Trust me. <laughs> That, that's a lie, by the way. If we're playing two truths and a lie, that is a big lie. Um, but just being able to recognize that is huge. Being able to put that into words and take that to God is huge. Second thing is to be able to remember. The psalm offers us a remembrance a remembrance of where David's at in the midst of this psalm. But the thing is, we have the the benefit of knowing how it all plays out in his life. We can see down the road. We see that this promise that God gave him, that God's character comes through in his life. Despite the tough circumstances, he does become king. God told him this when he was a kid. And whenever he becomes a man much older, it came true. Beyond that remembrance is key. We have to remember who God is. I know right now, I don't know how my circumstances are going to play out. I can't tell you how your circumstances are going to play out. But I can tell you who God is. I can remind you of his character. And his character does not change regardless of how our circumstances change. Despite unmet, circum- unmet expectations, he's the same God. He's a God who is for us, who loves us, who fights on our behalf, even when we sometimes don't see it. And I know I personally have to remember that. I also need to remember what he's done in others' lives. Because even though I can't see how it's going to play out in my current circumstances, I know he's come through for other people too. This whole community that we live in, y'all, this is a y'all psalm. It's not a me psalm. It's not a you psalm. It's a y'all psalm. We need each other. And part of why I think David has penned this and why the Jews 
we'll have to sing it on their psalm and as one of their psalms of ascent, is because it reminds them God did come through. God is good in the midst of hard circumstances and good ones alike, and he shows up. It may not be how we expect, it to, expect him to show up, but he shows up. And y'all, you're all stories of him coming through in your lives, regardless of the circumstances. The fact that he comes through in our lives is an encouragement to me. It should be an encouragement to all of us, and we need each other's stories to be able to remember who God is. And y'all, finally, third thing is we need to hope. In addition to recognizing what's going on and remembering, we have this whole idea of hope that shows up at the end of this psalm. It's not like a hope where, you know, you go to the roulette wheel and you put, you know, $100 on six and, and hope, you know, cross your fingers, hope that it turns out, the, you know, in your favor. It's, a, it's not a hope like that. It's a hope of expectation, of knowing who God is, what he's doing, and hoping in the fact that he's going to be God and he's going to do what he said he's going to do, that he's going to be the God he says he's going to be. We need that hope. doesn't mean it's going to play out like we think doesn't mean that circumstances are just going to magically change because we find this hope, but it will change us in the midst of these circumstances. It realigns us to God. It realigns our heart to who he is, and this hope is what we need, and this hope is something we can't find on our own. Again, if I'm isolated over here in the midst of my trials, if you're isolated in the midst of whatever hard circumstance it is, hope is sometimes hopeless. It can't be found, or it seemingly can't be found. Y'all, we need each other to help us hope when hope seems lost. Sometimes we can't hope for ourselves. Sometimes we need others to help hope for us. The importance of community, I can't stress it enough. We need it. We need to share what's going on in our lives. We need to share the fact that we feel hopeless sometimes and we just need others to help us hope, to help us remember, to help us recognize. You know, I think that's what this psalm is for us. It's a prayer of hope when we may not feel any. Y'all want to invite the worship team to come back up to the, um, the stage. As they do, I want to remind us that we, we have hope, even when it doesn't seem to be found. We have hope in our Savior, in Jesus Christ. And as we do every week, we're going to be taking communion today. And as you take it, I encourage you to take time to remember the hope that is offered to all at this table the hope that life is more than just our current circumstances, that there's more to hope for than just the here and the now, that Jesus Christ came to offer his life up for us so that we could hope in something so much greater than just an earthly kingship, but he's given us an eternal kingdom in which we've belonged, a a family to which we belong. 
Y'all remember that as you come up today. Remember whose you are and who's fighting on your behalf.